The first lesson comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. To the church in Sardis. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repeat or repent. If you do not wake up, I excuse me, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and will never blot his name out in the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jessica. As we dig into this reading today, where Jesus is, in many ways, the harshest He is among all of the seven churches. We hear this word of a a loving Savior who also loves us enough to not leave us where we're at and tell us the truth. Our families are really good at that. give you a, a great example of that in my life. Last summer, I had the blessing of getting to preach at the family camp that our family was attending. It was a Sunday morning service, and uh, it was an outdoor service. And a little uh, not-so-secret fact about those of us who get asked to preach like that uh, outside of our, our, our normal, regular duties, what we do when we get asked to do something like that is we pick one of our favorite sermons, Right? And, uh, and bring it to the table so that uh, I feel really good about it, right? And so the folks there receiving that word uh, probably might think, oh, wow, he, he, he's really good. I'd love to hear that every week. But of course, that was just one of the favorites, right? And I feel real good about myself. And, and so I walk up to the platform. And as... I do. I realize that the platform is really just a trailer that has got some steps on the end, and they're kind of steep and rickety. So I decide to go up early while the worship leaders are still leading worship. And I slowly walk up those steps carefully and kind of in the background, and people are following the worship leaders and hopefully not paying too much attention to me. And then it's time for me to read the scripture and then preach. I make the decision, I'm going to do the same thing on the way back down. I'm going to wait until the worship leader comes back up, and then I can slowly sneak uh, back out of the way. Except, we had one of these, as I got to the end of the platform, was it time for me to go down for the worship leader to come back up? One of these uh, kind of Midwestern uh, uh, encounters 
where we were fighting over, no, you go, no, you go, right? And so now everyone uh, gathered for worship is watching this, and I quickly realized I am not going to win this battle. And so I uh, quickly, too quickly, uh, begin to go down the stairs. And as I predicted, uh, clumsily, uh, almost falling on my face, go down the stairs, right? Now, this is where uh, you need people who love you and uh, to support you in moments like these, right? And so I turn towards the picnic table where my family are seated, and out of great love, they are rolling on the ground laughing, right? <laughs> right? And that's the kind of truth that we need in our lives. When we think too much of ourselves, we need that kind of humility to speak that truth sometimes in laughter, right? And as uh, I tell you that story, I'm reminded that we, we can't just live off of a reputation of the days gone old or, or just live off of one of our favorite messages of uh, foregone days. We need a steady diet of God's Word speaking to us in and out. And we need people to be real in our lives. Real like my family was that day. Real with each other. In a moment where we need truth spoken. Where sometimes that truth is forgotten. And we welcome that conversation now as we come to the city of Sardis, the church there, 10 miles south of Thyatira, where we were last week. And it's an interesting story about who they are and the words of Jesus connecting with the history of that city. As unlike other letters, he doesn't begin with a word of affirmation, he just drills in right away. Like only someone really knows you can do. And as he drills in right away, he tells them that, you know, you have a reputation of being good. But he knows them to be dead or close to death. Their reputation of maybe being a successful or well-known church in this community, of maybe even doing good things, in a place that was full of, of business and trade. This church seemed to be doing well and was known to be well, but Jesus knew better. He could see into their hearts. You see, it's interesting because Sardis was known to be, and actually by its name, to be a city that was impregnable. It was not able to be thwarted. It was built into the surrounding region so that nations coming on attack could not get in. They built this huge wall. And yet, twice in its history, both in 547 B.C. and in 214 B.C., Sardis would fall 
And both times for similar reasons. Reasons that Jesus seems to be uh, reminding them of here. You see, when they were surrounded by Cyrus of Persia in the previous centuries, he was the first to successfully overthrow this fortress of a city. And as the story is told by uh, several different historians, a soldier inside the city was at the top of that big wall and looking over his helmet fell to the ground. And as it fell in the middle of the night, he thought no one was watching. And so he went to a back stairway that was unknown to anyone except those who guarded the city. And as he went down that back stairway and went out, unbeknownst to him, he was carefully being watched by Cyrus's forces. And he exposed this unguarded, unknown secret entrance. And then this unguarded entrance then he went back into with his now recovered helmet. And they were soon overthrown. 300 years later in 214 BC, something similar happened with guards, some have say, literally falling asleep. Not being vigilant, not standing watch. This wall of fortress of a city that could not, like the Titanic, could never sink, could not be thwarted, would fall. And this great church in like manner had fallen asleep. Even though they had a reputation for being good, Jesus says they are dead. They'd allowed the enemy to come through the the back stairs, the hidden entrance of their city and bring about death and destruction. Now remember as you read this letter in Revelation 3, that unlike other epistles that were written to the church in Ephesus and then later passed around to the church in Galatia, these seven letters were collected into one letter. The intention is for all of the churches, then and now, to overhear what was going on in each church so that we could learn from each with the corrective word that Jesus had for them and for all of us. So Jesus isn't shocked by their sin. In fact, as disappointed as he is and as he speaks those hard words of truth, as verse 3 tells us, he calls us, he calls them first to remember, to repent. As the scholar Martin Franzman points out, The Lord of the seven stars does not begin with threatening. He begins with the renewal of His promise and says, remember what I've done. Return to Me. Repent. And this is the call that Jesus has for us. As we consider the ways that we quietly leave things unguarded in our lives, To take those items, not that Jesus is shocked by them, but to take them to the Lord in prayer and humility and repentance. Unlike the world around us, the Christian faith is like this. We grow when we are meek and humble to the Lord. It's not out of our strength, but out of the strength of the one true God. 
Dr. Timothy Keller, pastor and scholar and preacher in New York City, finished his race on earth just this past Friday with his now receiving his heavenly reward. He told his family that not in the slightest, no downside in me leaving, not in the slightest, he faced this battle of which he'd fought these last three years with hope because he knew that he would see his Lord face to face. We can face any difficulty, any enemy, any challenge that you might be walking through right now with assurance and hope because on this seventh Sunday of Easter, we remember He, in fact, is risen and is risen indeed. And if Jesus rose from the dead, the tomb is empty, then nothing we face now will overcome us in the end. So Dr. Keller writes about this text. He says, we are hearing a Jewish prophetic oracle. A Jewish prophetic oracle here. A prophecy in the tradition of Judaism. Now we shouldn't be surprised. The archaeologists tell us there was a huge Jewish community there in Sardis. In fact, it had the largest, according to archaeologists, Largest synagogue found in the Roman Empire over the, uh, about the size of a football field. This synagogue and this community then influenced the life and witness there in the region. And so no wonder we hear this tradition of prophecy coming now to us through Jesus here in Revelation. And what we need to understand about that prophetic Tradition is that when we think of prophets, we think of foretelling. As Dr. Keller will talk about, it's really more about a covenant lawsuit. It's a covenant lawsuit that is being charged against God's people, that they have broken covenant with God. We see that in the Old Testament and we see that here in Revelation. And in this lawsuit, Jesus also functions as a sort of high priest, as Dr. Eli Eisenberg, a Hebrew Christian scholar, will write that the believers in, in Sardis, as far as Jesus saw it, were staining and impure in their offerings to the Lord. And they were being called to make a pure offering, a right, righteous, unstained gift to the Lord. And so in this covenantal relationship, this relationship with God that is sealed by His work on the cross, this covenant that we have with God, we now hear in this covenant lawsuit about how it's being broken. Now, we have trouble with this in our day and age as well. In our culture, we don't like the formality or the accountability of those kind of covenants. We say things like, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, which is good, but then we go on to say, but, so then why do I need to go to church? Or much more, why do I have to make a, a covenant, a vow, and, and go through a three-week class and become a member? We don't like that kind of accountability, but we need it. We need 
people in our lives who love us, who will laugh when we fall down the stairs, right? When everyone else is trying to be polite. Who tell us the truth when we need to hear it like Jesus did with His church then. We need to be in covenant with God and with one another. And we do this and have trouble with these same kind of covenants in our personal relationships. We like to live together before we get married just to try it out without the uh, hassle or difficulty of a formal marriage covenant. And therefore we can quickly escape if it's not working out and it's no longer the sacrificial relationship that God deemed it and created it to be. There are all kinds of ways, and I can go on, that we open up as a people of God backstairs to let the enemy cause us to stumble. And maybe we look good on the outside, but our inner life is in turmoil. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, that tells of a novel of demons in training and a senior demon training a, a junior one who is trying to lead someone astray, he gives him this important advice. He said, don't lead him astray too fast so that he notices he's being led astray. The frog in the kettle, right? That's what's going on in the church in Sardis. And if we're not vigilant, if we're not awake and not watching, that's what's going to go on in the church here in Albuquerque, in our homes, and in our life together. We must be vigilant. We must hear the word of truth spoken to us. One pastor put it this way. He noted that in uh, more conservative churches, often like ours, our sin is a sin of salvation without action, without living it out. It's just something that we do on Sunday mornings. But as Rich Mullins put in his song, and as we hear in the book of James, faith without works is like a song you can't sing. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine, Rich Mullins wrote. And so we are called to make a confession of faith and then live that out in our daily lives. But just as useless is actions without faith that we see in churches among us yet still today. When we believe the lie that it doesn't matter what we believe. Like the church in Sardis, they they had good outward behavior, but their inner life was stained. Their garments were stained. An image of, in that day and age of, sexual immorality and participation of worship with idols quietly while on the outside they were looking good. You see, friends, it matters what you believe. Anchored in the righteousness and truth of God's Word and of who Christ is, what you believe and what you do, not one or the other, but both before the Lord our God. We are to Quote Timothy Keller one more time, we are either asleep or we're fallen asleep or we're awakened and awake and being reawoken. 
as a church in the history of the Reformation like we are. It's a phrase like this that we should remember, Ecclesia Semper Reformenda Est. In Latin, that means the church is always reforming. We're always being and needing to be reawoken and returning to the Word, returning to Jesus. Otherwise, we're falling asleep or asleep. And so, friends, let's remember today, the resurrection is true. The hope of the resurrection is real, and so we can face any challenge, including the challenge of being real with each other and being real with God and coming to Him with repentant hearts in humility and staying vigilant so that those backstairs, those enemies at bay will not bring us to death. The wonder, the wonder for the ever-reforming church is that now He clothes us. When we come to Him in repentance, He clothes us with His robes of righteousness. These white robes are not made on our own or by our own good works, but are given to us as a free gift in Christ for all those who come to Him in repentance. He must increase, as John the Baptist said, and we must decrease. When we decrease, we gain everything. This Jesus who can bring death to life invites us today to bring everything before Him and put on Christ. And remember our names then, when we do so, when we come to Him, will never be blotted out of the book of life. Return, remember, repent. And today, put on Christ. Amen.